Hey, this is weird, huh? It's weird for me anyway. Um, hey, for those of you that don't know, I don't usually do this. Uh, usually I'm over here playing guitar and singing, and uh, this, is not, this is not me. Um, but Pastor Lawrence and Penny are uh, away for a little bit, taking some time off, celebrating their anniversary, I believe, what did we say, 38 years? Is that right? Uh, 38 years sometime this week. So um, pray for them as they are kind of just enjoying time together and pray that it would be a time of refreshment for them so they can come back and just continue to, to lead us and lead us well. Have you guys been enjoying this sermon series so far? This all-in, uh, kind of going through this book by Mark Batterson. Uh, man, it's been so good and challenging and there have been many weeks that I've walked out of here just feeling like I got punched in the gut, um, you know, with a reality check of, am I really all in for Jesus? Um, so if you're just joining us, um, welcome, and uh, glad to have you here. For those of you that are on uh, the online audience, thanks for joining us today as well. And, uh, you know, just pray that, that, that I don't screw things up too bad this morning. So I'm hoping that Lawrence doesn't come back with an inbox full of messages uh, saying, um, let the guy sing, don't let him do that again. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll see what we can do. But just kind of to recap a little bit, um, you know, over the last few weeks, the first week we looked at the story of the rich young ruler um, who wanted to follow Jesus and kind of raised the question in our hearts, you know, of does, uh, do we own our stuff or does our stuff own us? Uh, the second week, we looked at the story of Elisha going all in by burning his oxen and his plows and deciding to follow Elijah to become the next great prophet. And then last week, Lawrence took us through uh, the story of Joshua going all in by taking on the Philistines, by climbing that cliff with the, with the uh, attitude of, perhaps God will work on my behalf. And this week, we're going to look at the story of Moses. But before we do, I need two volunteers. I told you this was going to be weird, okay? I need two volunteers this morning that will be willing to come up and answer one simple question for me. So, volunteers, where are you? Not everybody at once. I'm going to just start calling people if I don't have volunteers. Come on, give me somebody. All right, one right here and one more. Somebody from this side. Come on up. All right. So, as they're coming, here's what I'm going to have them do. Um, I want you to answer one simple question, all right? So you guys do not know each other, correct? Have you ever met before? Awesome, okay. And most of these people you probably don't know either, right? Absolutely. Okay, good. Perfect. So what I want you to do is I want you to answer this question, who are you? Okay, just like you're, you're meeting somebody for the first time, who are you? I'm going to give you like 15 to 30 seconds to answer that question with as much detail as you can, but just tell us who you are. My name is Deanna Hockberry. I am a mother, wife, grandmother, uh, a lover of Jesus, and a Bible study leader. And I do hair, but semi-retired. Awesome. Thank you, Deanna. Tell us who you are. <laughs> My name is uh, Jack Westerfield. Whoa! Awesome. Uh, I, I too. I, I'm a I'm a husband, uh, Catherine, who's sitting out there, who kept tapping my leg. And, uh, I'm a father of five, grandfather of eleven, and uh, I am a retired. 
retired rural letter carrier, as well as a current pastor of a church in North Carolina. Ah, so that's why he volunteered. Because <laughs> he, was, he was feeling my pain. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Give them a hand. <laughs> I was like, man, first time here visiting and you volunteered for stuff? Ah, oh, that's what it is. Understood. What did you notice about how they identified themselves? And we all do it. It was all centered in what I've done, what I do, who I know, what relationships I have, right? Sometimes, you know, some of it was even what I've done in the past, right? But that is how we typically allow our identity to be determined, is by what we do, who we know, what we're known for, rather than placing our identity in the one thing that matters, and that is who God says that we are. So this morning, we're going to look a lot at the idea of identity. And we're going to look at this encounter that Moses has with God and how his identity shifted from who he was to who God is. Now, most of you probably know most of the story of of Moses, but I want to kind of give you some backstory for those that maybe are not familiar with it. Uh, Moses is born during a time when the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, has the Hebrew people in captivity, and they've become greatly oppressed uh, slaves of Egypt, and yet they continue to grow in number, which poses a possible threat to Pharaoh. Now, in order to kind of curb that threat and to keep their growth uh, from happening, he orders the murder of all Hebrew baby boys. Moses is one of those children, and yet he escapes death because of his mother's active faith to place him in a basket and then place that basket in the Nile River. And there he is discovered by the Pharaoh's daughter who adopts him as her own. Moses is raised in the palace as Pharaoh's grandson, and sometime around the age of 40, he goes out to visit his Hebrew people, and he sees an Egyptian slave driver beating one of the Hebrew men. Out of rage, Moses kills the Egyptian, and then realizing that others know what he has done, including Pharaoh, he flees for his life to the land of Midian, where he spends 40 years as a shepherd, tending sheep in the middle of nowhere. Now, talk about an identity crisis, right? Here's Moses, who goes from a life of luxury and power as the prince of Egypt to a life as a murderer, an outlaw, and a shepherd in the middle of nowhere. Now, let me ask this question. Do you think that Moses felt like a failure? I would venture to say he probably did. I have to believe that Moses had at least some idea that he was spared as an infant and placed in the palace for a reason and a purpose. I think he knew that somehow God wanted to use him to help free his people. You see, God's plan all along was to use Moses as a key to free the people of Israel. But I often wonder what Moses' story could have been if he had not taken things into his own hands by killing that Egyptian. Now, this is purely speculation. But I wonder, could the people of Israel have been freed 40 years earlier if Moses had not done that? Was God's plan A for Moses to use his influence within Egypt's kingdom, or within Pharaoh's kingdom, to free the people of Israel? I have no idea. That is just me. And don't write Lawrence an email saying, Chris is you know, he's not talking about Scripture. This is just, these are just thoughts I have, all right? That's kind of how I do things. I sort of have these thoughts, and I throw them out, and then who knows what happens. But anyway, 
Um, I can't say it for sure, but I do know that Moses must have felt like a failure as he fled Egypt, as he lived in the wilderness for 40 years. He probably felt like God could never use him, like God had given up on him as he sat staring at sheep for 40 years. But don't we do that as well? Don't we allow our past mistakes to dictate how we see ourselves? Or even more, don't we allow our past to dictate how we think God sees us and how we think he can use us? You know, we say things like this. We say things like, God could never use me. Look at what I've done. Look at who I was. I've made too many mistakes. I've wasted too much of my life. How many of us have given up on dreams or on the things that we think God has called us to do because we have failed in some way? You see, we give up because somehow we think that God has given up on us. Throughout the morning, I want to give you kind of four points um, and then sort of leave you with four statements. But the first point I want to make is this. Going all in for God isn't something you do just once. You will probably have a few failures before you get it right. But the failures are many times what prepare you for the successes. You see, Moses, in some ways, went all in by killing that Egyptian. But it was an all-in mistake. It was a failure. However, in spite of that mistake or that failure, God uses the time that Moses spent in the wilderness tending sheep as a way to really prepare him for the role of shepherding the nation of Israel as he leads them out of captivity and into the promised land. You see, God can use our failures to prepare us for what he wants us to do. Now, in this room, has anybody ever felt like a failure? I would venture to say that most of us probably have, right? I like to write songs, and as a songwriter, I have lots and lots of failures, all right? The, the percentage of songs that are actually heard by other people that I've written uh, are very, very small compared to the percentage of songs that I've actually written or tried to write. Right? And each one of those failures has become a learning point. And some of those failures have even turned into songs or have at least influenced other songs. But there's been lots of failures. As a parent, every day I feel like a failure. You know, just thinking, what should I have done? What could I have done? What do I need to do to help my boys become the men that God wants them to be? And there's so many days I'm like, what have I done? You know, or what haven't I done? As a son, as a husband, as a, as a friend, as a brother, failure after failure. As a worship leader and worship pastor, you know, there are many times I feel like a failure that I'm not good enough. Um, that I didn't handle a situation in the right way or that I didn't make the right choice or the right call. Or even have thoughts of who am I to be leading this ministry with all of my shortcomings. But here's the thing, guys. Here's what I want you to hear. The only time that we actually become a failure is when we don't allow our mistakes to shape us into who God is calling us to be. Every mistake, every failure can be a stepping stone to what God is calling us to. The problem is, is that when we don't see it like that, when we don't allow those failures and mistakes to shape us and mold us into who God wants us to be, that's when the failure happens. So here's Moses He's tending sheep 40 years of the mundane, 40 years of the routine. 
40 years of feeling like a failure. Do you ever feel trapped in the mundane? Do you ever feel trapped in the routine? Like, like what you're doing doesn't really matter? Like you're working a dead-end job or you're at a place in life where you just feel like, you know, I really can't make a difference. Or maybe you've already done the important stuff and now it's just too late in life to really do anything significant for God. Here's the second thing I want to say to you. God can show up at any time and at any place and can transform who we are and how we see ourselves. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, and this is the encounter that, uh, that Moses has with God. It says this, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses thought to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Don't come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. So get this, right? Moses is living in the mundane. He's taking his sheep out to the deep wilderness. He's walking along, just doing his routine thing, and all of a sudden he catches his glimmer out the corner of his eye, right? And he's like, what is that? And he looks a little closer, and there's fire. And it's this bush that's on fire, but it's not really on fire. So he's like, that's interesting. Okay, I'm going to get a little closer look, and all of a sudden the bush starts yelling at him. Now, at that point, if that was me, I'm not exactly sure what would happen if I would have a heart attack and just give it up there, or if I'd pee my pants and run away. I don't know what would happen, right? All I know is that I would be freaked out. And I'm not sure my response would be, here I am. You know, I'm thinking it would be like, wow, what's happening, right? But here's Moses. He sees this bush. God calls to him. And in the midst of Moses' routine and mundane life, God breaks in and rocks his world. Now, have you ever wondered why God chose to reveal himself to Moses in the middle of nowhere? Why not some spectacular place? Why a meaningless thorn bush in the middle of the wilderness? I think he wanted to show that nowhere on earth is exempt from his presence. That wherever he is becomes holy ground that can transform our lives. Think about this. God's presence is everywhere. So that means that right now you are standing or sitting on holy ground. Not because you're in church, but because God's presence is here. Your cubicle at work is holy ground. Your classroom is holy ground. Your car is holy ground. Your living room, your kitchen, your office, your warehouse, your workshop, it's all holy ground simply because God is present. Listen, when you go all in with God, every place you walk becomes holy ground. And what a thought. Batterson in the book says it like this. He is God most high. He is also God most nigh. The God of the universe is here, present with us all the time.
A.W. Tozer says this, God is above, but he's not pushed up. He's beneath, but he's not pressed down. He's outside, but he's not excluded. He's inside, but he's not confined. God is above all things presiding, beneath all things sustaining, outside of all things embracing, and inside of all things filling. God's presence is everywhere. Now, we can get a little off track, and we can talk about God's God's omnipresence, the fact that he is everywhere at all times, and his manifest presence, which is kind of like what I like to say, is when God decides to show up in really special ways. But let's leave it at that. Let's let's, uh, talk, Chris. But let's leave it at this. God's presence is everywhere. And at times, he chooses to show up in some really awesome ways, kind of like a burning bush. And he can do that anywhere, at any time, especially if you make the decision to go all in with him. Now, have any of you ever been surprised by a burning bush moment, a moment when you were caught off guard by the presence of God and knew that he was speaking to you. Again, Batterson in the book says, when you go all in with God, you never know how or when or where he might show up. But you can live in holy anticipation knowing that God can invade the reality of your life at any given moment and change everything for eternity. Do you have any burning bush, holy ground moments? Times that you have unmistakably encountered the presence and the call of God. When I think about my life, I can think of a few times where I felt like I was standing on holy ground. And when I think back to these, it just proves the fact that it can happen anywhere at any time. The first thing I can remember is I was in high school, and I can remember standing in the parking lot at Prince Street United Brethren Church in Shippensburg. And I had been thinking that maybe God was calling me into ministry. And I remember my youth pastor, Mike, standing in the parking lot with me and saying to, telling me about a dream or a vision or just this picture that he had of him handing the torch to me and me running with it. And in that moment, that church parking lot became holy ground, and it was as if God had just solidified and confirmed my calling in the ministry. Another time would be uh, when I was on a college visit to Huntington College out in Indiana. And I'll never forget it. It was so weird. As soon as my foot hit the main walkway on that campus, all of a sudden that became holy ground, and God It was like God spoke to me and said, you are supposed to be here, and this is where you're going to be. And that's where I went. That sidewalk became holy ground. Another time was in a room in the Lehigh Valley Hospital as my oldest son hung by a thread fighting for his life. And I remember sitting in that hospital room, and I remember staring at him, And it was as if that room became holy ground when God kind of broke in and he said to me, Chris, am I still good and do you still trust me if I take him? And man, I had to wrestle with that. And thank God he didn't. He's still here. But that hospital room became holy ground. Penny and Lawrence 
Metzler's living room, Pastor Lawrence's living room. When I was going through my interview process here for this position, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be here or not. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to leave my current job. And as I sat, as my wife and I sat in their living room one night talking, every question, every concern, every doubt that I had was answered without me ever asking a question. And in that moment, their living room became holy ground as God confirmed my call to be here. And I'm so glad that he did. And the most recent one was just this summer. In my front lawn mowing the grass. <laughs> I was mowing and I actually had to stop and just stand there for a moment. I, I had been kind of just processing th- some things here at the church and our ministry, our worship ministry, and um, you know, just thinking about some, some different things. And, and all of a sudden it was like God had just sort of said to me, Chris, if I asked you to give up what you're doing right now and do something different, would you be willing to do it? And in that moment... My grass became holy ground. Because it, it was a question I had to struggle with. It was a question I had to ask myself. Do I love my job more or my God more? Because I love what I do. I love what I get to do here. I love the fact that I stand in this position, that I'm able to lead you guys in worship each week. And the thought of giving that up for something different here or something different outside of this church was a really difficult thing. Now, he has not called me to do that. But it was a question of, has my position become an idol for me or not? But those are my holy ground moments. What are yours? Moses' moment was in the middle of nowhere with a burning bush. Moses has his holy ground moment, and then God drops the bombshell on him. Exodus 3, 9 to 11 says this, look, and God says this, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly they have been treated. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Israel. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? God says, Free my people, Moses. And Moses' response is, Say what? You want me to do what? Actually, his response is, who am I? Who am I to go talk to Pharaoh? Who am I to lead your people out of Egypt? Here's what he's really saying. He's saying, God, I am nobody. I'm a failure. I'm just a shepherd. I'm a murderer and an outlaw. I've already blown my chance to make a difference. God, I'm 80 years old at this point. Here's the third thing, and I want you to hear this. You are, who you are is absolutely irrelevant. Let me say it again. Who you are is absolutely irrelevant. God doesn't use us because of us. He uses us in spite of us. You see, who am I is the wrong question. It's not about who you are. It's about whose you are. Moses argues, who am I? And God responds in two ways. Exodus 3, 12 to 14, and here's God's response to Moses. God answered, I will be with you, 
And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what's his name? Then what am I supposed to tell them? God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Now, God's response to Moses, I will be with you, is the first thing he says. That's the reassurance that God is with us, that he never leaves us and that he has our back. And the second response that God gives is this, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Now, when I saw this this week as I was studying, I was kind of floored. There's there's so much power in this. Check this out. Moses says, who am I? And God answers, I am. Who am I? I am. Listen, God is shifting where Moses' identity lies. God says, place your identity in me, Moses. And man, isn't that all that we need to know? That God is with us? That he is for us? That his name is above every problem? That his name calms every fear and wins every battle? That his name causes angels to bow and demons to flee? That he is all we need? That he is our all in all? Church, it is not about who I am. It's all about the great I am. Amen? It is not about us. You see, God is beginning to transform Moses' identity. He is helping Moses to begin placing his identity in who God is rather than who he is. Here's the next piece, Exodus 4, 1 to 5. Then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? It's a shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down his staff, and it turned into a snake, and Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. Now, again, if I'm Moses, I'm going, no, you reach out and grab its tail. But Moses, Moses reached out, grabbed its tail, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. They will believe you. They will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has really appeared to you. Now, here's where the rubber really meets the road. Here is Moses' all-in moment. God says, Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses says, it's just my shepherd's staff. But here's the thing. Moses' shepherd's staff was his identity, and it was his security. It's the way that he made a living. It's how he protected himself and his flock. It represented all that he knew of his life in that moment. And God says, throw it down, let it go, and give me control. You see, when God told Moses to throw it down, he was asking Moses to let go of who he was and what he had. And I think this was, this was less about the miracle of the staff turning into a snake, and it was more about a moment of surrender. Because God gives him other signs to perform, but this was a moment of surrender. This is Moses' all-in moment. So guys, what's... What's in your hand? What are you holding on to right now? What has God entrusted to you, but you might be gripping so tightly that you're not willing to let it go? 
Let me ask this question. How many of you would like God to use you in extraordinary ways? Anybody? Man, I hope all of us can say that. How many of you uh, want to make a difference in the lives of other people? How many of you want to be used to bring glory and honor to God? Batterson in the book, again, says this. You can have faith or you can have control, but you cannot have both. If you want God to do something off the charts, you have to take your hands off the controls. Here's the fourth thing I want to say. Throwing down your staff is letting go and letting God. So what's in your hand? And you might be tempted to say, what's just a staff? I really can't make much of a difference anyway. Listen, throughout this whole encounter with God, Moses throws out excuse after excuse. He's like, I'm nobody. What if they don't believe me? What if they won't listen to me? I'm not a good speaker. I stutter. Just send somebody else, God. You see the common thread in all these arguments? They are centered in the identity of what I can do on my own. And we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We say things like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have the right talents. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm just a nobody. What if I can't explain it right? What if they ask a question that I don't know the answer to? What if they think I'm a fool? What if, what if, what if? Remember last week, talking about the story of Jonathan climbing those cliffs to attack the Philistines? Remember his perspective? Perhaps God will work on our behalf. I think so many times we tend to ask the wrong what if questions. We tend to ask, what if God doesn't come through? What if he doesn't act on my behalf? Rather than asking, what if God actually does pull through? What if he does act on my behalf? What if he does do something incredible through me? What if he does use me in a way that I never expected? You see, it's the difference between faith and fear. It's the difference in identity. Is my identity centered in what I can do or is my identity centered in who he is and what he can do? Here's what it all comes down to. Have you gone all in and all out for the all in all? But what does it mean for God to be our all in all? 1 Corinthians 15, 28 says, When he has done this, the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Other translations put it this way, so that God will mean everything to everyone. So that God will be the complete ruler over all things. So that he will be in control of everything. So that he will be utterly supreme and over everything, everywhere. Has Jesus become your all in all? Is he your identity? Has he become everything to you? Have you thrown down the staff of your life and given him all control? It all comes back to what's in your hand. There's a few things, a few statements I want to leave you with. Number one, if Jesus really is my all in all, then going all in and all out for him is bringing glory to him even in the mundane and seemingly meaningless tasks. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You see, the issue is not what you're doing. The real issue is why you do it, how you do it, and who you do it for. Even the most mundane thing, the most routine things can be incredible acts of obedience and worship. Well, you might say, yeah, Chris, that's great, but what if I have a job that just sucks? What if I have a job or a task that I hate, that it's just a bad, a bad job? Listen, you can still glorify God, and I love this, by doing a good job at a bad job. It doesn't matter what you're doing, guys. It's who you do it for, it's how you do it, and it's why you do it. Washing dishes can be an act of worship. Running a forklift can be an act of worship. Working in your shop as a retired guy just loving to make wood projects can be an act of worship. Even the mundane and the meaningless tasks can bring glory and honor to him. The second thing is this. If Jesus really is my all in all, then going all in and all out for him is not allowing my past mistakes and my failures to define me, but rather to prepare and propel me toward what God is calling me to do. Where have you failed in the past? How could God be using those things to prepare you for something awesome that maybe you never expected? You know, maybe you've just had some really difficult times in life. I was talking to a guy the other week that was telling me about just some really difficult things he went through in his marriage and with his kids and all this stuff. And in the middle of it, he's like, why, why, am I, why am I experiencing this? But now he is leading a ministry, helping others deal with the same things and teaching them how to, how to walk alongside of their spouse, of their kids, with Jesus being at the center of it. God used that, those circumstances in his life to prepare him for a ministry that he never expected to have. What are your failures that maybe God is using to prepare you to do something unexpected? Number three, if Jesus is my all in all, then going all in and all out for him is using the things he has placed in my hand for his glory and not my own. So what is it? What's in your hand? What talent or skill do you hold? What platform do you have? What relationships have you been given? What hobbies do you enjoy? What resources have you been blessed with? Are you using those things for his glory or for yours? And the last thing, number four. If Jesus really is my all in all, going all in and all out for him is placing my trust, my control, and my identity in him, and taking the first step of faith in whatever it is that he's calling me to do, even if I feel inadequate. And here's the thing. If God's calling you to do something, you had better feel inadequate. Otherwise, it may not be him. You see, that's the best place that we can be when God calls us, is because we're, at that point, we're not relying on anything that's within us. We are completely dependent on who he is and what he can do through us. 
So it's okay to feel inadequate. In fact, it's great <laughs> to feel inadequate. But what's he calling you to do? Start a new ministry, possibly? Serve in a new way? Serve with the kids' point? Serve in the youth ministry? Be part of the worship ministry or the tech ministry? Serve as a greeter and a, welcome, a welcoming face as people walk in the door? Maybe it's something crazy like changing jobs. Maybe it's something even really crazy like picking up your life and moving to another country to be a missionary. I don't know. He calls us all in different ways. Maybe it's something like just talking to that one friend about Jesus who you've been scared to death to raise the conversation with. Take the first step and see what happens. So how do we kind of wrap it up? I think it's all with with this question, what, what's in your hand? What is in your hand? What do you need to throw down? What is your next step? Maybe for some of you, your next step is really your first step. Maybe you're beginning to realize that living out of your own identity just isn't, it's not working. And you need something different. Listen, Jesus is calling. This could be your burning bush, holy ground moment. Jesus is calling. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, he said, look, if, if anybody wants to, to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. You've got to throw your staff down, man. You've got to throw your life down and pick up the new life that Jesus offers. Maybe that's your first step. So what's your staff? What defines who you are? Are you willing to throw it down and allow God to use, to use it in whatever way that he chooses? Listen, your job, your skills, your talents, your financial status, your business, your family, your spouse, your kids, even your ministry does not define your identity. Are those things part of who you are? Absolutely. But your identity needs to be wrapped up in the fact that you are a chosen son or daughter of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator and sustainer of all things, the Holy One, the great I am. He must become your all in all. Not the things you do, not the positions you hold. Church, we must go all in and all out for the all in all. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for, uh, thanks for calling us. Thanks for those moments when you break through the mundane and the routine and reveal yourself in new ways and speak to us and challenge us. God, thank you that you call us yours. Thank you that our identity can be placed in you, that we can walk out of here knowing that we are chosen sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. God, I pray just in the next few moments, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reveal anything that, that we need to throw down this morning.
Let's just listen for a moment. Let's just listen for his voice. Whatever those things are, I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to take the first step of faith and do whatever it is that you're calling us to do. Help us to recognize that we are insufficient, but that doesn't matter because it's not about us. It's about who you are and what you can do through us if we are willing. God, make us willing. Thanks for hearing our worship today. Thanks for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your word. I pray that we would live in the identity that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this closing song. It's an old song that just declares that he is our all in all, that he is so worthy of our worship. 